Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship today. You know that our theme here at First Baptist Arlington in 2022 is re. And we have been exploring our theological and biblical vocabularies. And we have looked at numerous words that begin with that prefix, re. And so our theme for August has been rejoice. But we're about to conclude the month of August and we will shift gears for the fall. And our theme for the fall of 2022 is rededicate. And when you came in this morning, hopefully you were able to get a copy of one of these booklets. And I wanna say a word of thanks to Kurt Grice, primarily in our spiritual formation team, put this book, booklet together for us to provide supplemental materials for you, because in the fall, we are going to study 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians is a fascinating letter. Next to Romans, it's Paul's lengthiest letter in the New Testament, but if you add to that 2 Corinthians, which we studied already this year, and the two letters of Paul to the church at Corinth that we no longer have, then this is the church that easily received the most correspondence from the Apostle Paul. So Paul had much to say to the church at Corinth. And here's what we're going to focus on, a couple of things in the fall. One of them is we are going to learn together even more deeply how to study the Scripture. And that's really what you'll find in this booklet. It's an explanation of exegesis and hermeneutic and explanation of text and application. But we're also going to consider how to be a church in this challenging era. And we're going to learn some lessons from the church at Corinth because it was a church that faced a very challenging context. Dr. David Garland, who for years was a dean at Truett Seminary at Baylor, a longtime New Testament scholar, he says this about the church at Corinth. He says, the problem was not that the church was in Corinth, but that too much of Corinth was in the church. And you and I live in a day where it is challenging to be the church. We live in an incredibly polarized society. Anytime our government makes any decision, the polarization immediately raises its head, no matter what the issue. For example, when the Supreme Court ruled that Roe v. Wade was originally approved on shaky legal ground, first of all, many legal experts had already agreed upon that. But then there were many of us who saw that issue as not really necessarily just a legal issue, but also a moral one. And so when Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade was overturned, there was what you might consider the polarizing responses. Now, it comes as no shock, I, I would say, for many folks who would know me as a Baptist preacher and just who I am and what I believe in. I'm not a proponent of abortion. I never have been but also understand some of the complexities that exist in our culture. But regardless, once that decision was announced, the polarizing responses were somewhat predictable. 
this last week with another decision about the student debt issue. Once again, the polarizing responses were somewhat predictable. Just a reminder, does that make sense to y'all? This is just a time, no matter what decision is made, there's just folks who respond to it from various places, most often from two very different perspectives. I say that to say this, it's very challenging to be the church right now in this society because the issues are felt so deeply and the responses are so visceral. And so what I want us to do is to use 1 Corinthians in the fall to help us have some conversations about some of these challenging issues. So I want to let you know in particular about one conversation we're going to have on September the 11th. So not this coming Sunday, but next, the next Sunday on September the 11th. When you're reading 1 Corinthians, you encounter numerous controversial issues. You, you, you just can't escape it. So for example, on September the 11th, we're going to have a conversation about sexual purity. And I want to let you parents know that on that day, in both worship services at 8.30 and 11, we're going to have an option for you as parents, for your children to not be in this room. And our children's ministry will provide ministry for our children that day. And uh, that is the Sunday that we're kicking off our fall programming for our children anyway. And we want to give you parents the option because you may not want your children to be in this room for the conversation I'm going to have with our church because I want you to know I'm going to have a very frank, blunt conversation about sexual purity. Everybody else in my culture gets to talk about sexuality. Everybody. And so I'm going to talk about it two weeks from now. Does that make sense, everyone? If you're not ready for that for your children and just looking at some of them in here this morning, I can go ahead and tell you they ain't ready for what I'm going to say. So... We want to give you the option that day to have them in another place. Is that okay, everybody? So that's what we'll do. And, and this whole series this fall, um, to me, it just fits in with the, the season. It's, it's a time of recommitment. It's a, it's a time of rededication, if you will. And that's really what the fall is going to be about. And I'm looking forward to just shepherding that journey with you. Now, with that said, I want us to, however, bring this conversation about Philippians to a conclusion. Um, we have spent this month studying, exploring more deeply this letter that we know as Philippians in our Bibles. Uh, I've already preached several sermons, the power of the gospel, the preeminence of Christ Jesus, the prize of the high calling. These last three Sundays, we have had three Sunday nights where we have uh, I had a Bible study that I've led on Philippians, so I've preached through it. I've taught through it. I've asked you to read it every week. So every week, we have read through the book of Philippians. I'm going to ask us this week to do it one more time. And just so that we can come to grips with the full understanding of this book, I want you to revisit some of the famous quotations in the book of Philippians and make sure that, that we have them in our hearts and in our minds. Statements like, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gained. Or your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Or rejoice in the Lord always. 
Again, I say rejoice. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I can do everything through him who gives me strength, and my God will meet all your needs according to the glorious riches of Christ Jesus. There, there are just some very famous verses in Philippians. Some of the passages that some of us actually have framed and hanging on our walls in our homes. This is just that kind of book. But also, as you make your way through Philippians, I want you to be looking for fresh new insights as God speaks to you. Um, not just to uh, have those familiar ones more deeply ingrained, but also to allow the Lord to teach you some new truths and to experience the depth of joy and the message of joy that's found in this letter. So with that said, let's look at our topic for today, and we'll bring this conversation to a conclusion, and that is the peace of God. The text is found in Philippians 4, once again, very familiar passage for us, and let's look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Well, this morning, here's where I'd like for us to begin. The posture in responding to it all. Paul gives us a glimpse of his posture and a challenge for us. What should be our posture in responding to what happens to us? You know, right here in this room today, when we leave here today, you have no idea what you may be facing the rest of this day. You have no idea what might happen tomorrow, what may come your way. Every one of us in this room, we're, we're one phone call away from something incredibly challenging. And we have no way of knowing when it may happen. And so what is our response to be to all of it? Well, in this letter, 16 times Paul makes reference to joy. Just, just four pages, 16 times. Either joy or rejoice or rejoice with me. And in this text, he gives us our posture. Look at verse four. Rejoice, he says. Verse five, be gentle. So rejoice, he says, and be gentle. And then he says this, the Lord is near. Now, we're not sure what Paul meant by that. Did he mean the Lord's about to return? Or did he just mean the Lord is near? I'm, I'm not really sure. I would probably lean to the latter. The Lord is near. And so you and I can rejoice and be gentle. Now, let's talk about that. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord always? And then Paul says, I'm going to say it again, rejoice. <laughs> well, what I would tell you is this is not just some flippant denial of reality. That's not what it is. You know, it's not this, oh, well, praise the Lord. Oh, well, praise the Lord. It's not a, it's not a flippant denial of reality. However, what it really is, is an expression 
of a deep trust in God. That's what this is. That's what Paul means when he says, be joyful. It's challenging. Now, for people who are not Christians, this makes no sense. For people who do not know Jesus, being joyful always does not make sense. I, I came across this article. It's written by Eleanor Margolis. She wrote in the iNews, March of 2022, right, uh, right after the Ukraine had been invaded by the Russians. And she says this, I'm agnostic, but news about the Ukraine war is so scary right now, I've considered becoming a nun. Well, let, let me just read to you what she says because she's agnostic. She says, those of us without traditional religion are left to make our peace with uncertainty. She says that when those tanks rolled into the Ukraine, I started to wonder if it was time to find God. Definite God, that is. Not the half-hearted agnostic one built on a Jenga tower of uncertainty. The addition of a heightened nuclear threat from Putin made me desperate for a vengeful Old Testament God. Someone to smite the warmongers and oligarchs, the evil ones, know not what they do when nothing is left of civilization but the cockroaches. The last time I felt so envious of religious people was when my mom was dying of cancer. Certainly about certainty about an afterlife sure would have come in handy then. And prayer might have created the illusion that I had some power over the situation. Instead, I was treated to the spiritual equivalent of the shrug emoji. I became a devout follower of one true religion of the 21st century, uncertainty. Those of us without traditional religion are left to make our peace with uncertainty. Wow. And you know what? Without Jesus, that's how it really is. That's just about all you have is a hope against hope. Well, Paul describes something really different. Paul says, you and I as Christians in Christ, we can have joy. Well, what is joy? Joy is a deep abiding sense of the presence of God that transcends circumstances. It's a connection beyond what we see. So when, when Paul says rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. Here, here's what I like to imagine. I like to imagine when Paul wrote this letter from Rome, he gives it to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus takes it back to Philippi. When they get to Philippi, they're gathered in house churches. And I like to imagine that in one of those house churches was the Philippian jailer. Because he was a new believer in Philippi at the time and now has, we believe, evidently was a part of that church. Here's what I like to believe. The word spread, hey, tonight we're going to gather. We've got a letter from Paul. I like to imagine the Philippian jailer sitting in that room and when they read, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. I like to imagine that Philippian jailer said, hey, hey y'all, I saw that. That's what Paul did. He was in my jail and he was, he was jailed Unjust. He's a Roman citizen. He wasn't even supposed to be in my jail. And guess what he was doing? He was singing hymns at midnight. I saw Paul rejoice in the Lord always. So Paul is not just sharing something theologically true. He's writing out of his own experience. Even in the midst of a challenging circumstance, you and I can find joy. And then Paul goes on to say, prayer in the face of it all. Here's the temptation. When things happen, Pick something. What is it? Something happens with your job. Um, something happens in your family, relationships. Um, uncertainty about your financial situation. 
you, you have a death in your family or maybe there's a, a physical issue that you're dealing with. I mean, you, you decide, whatever it might be for you. What's our temptation? Our temptation is to somehow try to control what's happening and see if we can't just wrestle it. And we, we want to depend on our own ingenuity, our own strength, our own power. And guess what that leads to? That leads to anxiety. And guess what anxiety leads to? Worry. And we just start to worry about things. We're relying on ourselves. Now, I'll say this to y'all. Some people are more predisposed to worry than others. True? I almost think that every family ought to just have like a designated worrier. In fact, I think most families do. So what we can do is we just kind of point to them and say, hey, you know we're all worried about this. Why don't you worry about it for us? And that way we can kind of get on with our lives. But what does Paul say? When, when it happens, things start to fall apart, whatever it may be. And the temptation, he says, is to be anxious, to fret, to rely on yourself, to worry. Paul says, don't do that. He says, don't put all your energy into worry, what does he say? He says, put that energy into prayer. Pray, he says. Take these anxious moments, take these anxious feelings. It doesn't mean that you're denying the reality of them. It means that you're actually trusting that God can do something about them because he can. You know, sometimes we say, well, you know, God may not change the circumstance, he'll change you. Sometimes he changes the circumstance because he's God. <laughs> and so we, we bring our request to him. Instead of worrying. Now, y'all remember what Jesus said about worry, right? In the Sermon on the Mount. Y'all do remember, right? It, can I just redo what Jesus said just to remind us this morning? If you're worried right now, let me remind you what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of those. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's what Jesus said about worry. Well, I, I came across a couple of quotes this week about worry. Let, let me read them to you. Roy Bennett says, No amount of regretting can change the past, and no amount of worrying can change the future. Corey Ten Boom says, Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Ralph Waldo Emerson says, sorrow looks back, worry looks around, faith looks up. Mark Twain said, I'm an old man 
and I've known a, many, a great many troubles, and most of them have never happened. <laughs> well, that's how it is. For some reason, our temptation is just to worry about it all, to be anxious, to fret. Can I just encourage you to become a practical prayer, to pray, to ask God to intervene, to give your requests, your fears, your, your anxiety, and just express it to God. You know, I've told y'all before, I pastored two country churches when I first started preaching. I learned a lot in those two churches, learned a lot from country people. First church I pastored was in Jimtown, Oklahoma. Now, Jimtown, Oklahoma, if you'll get on I-35 and go north to Marietta, Oklahoma, and if you'll get off the freeway in Marietta and go west 13 miles and turn south and go six miles and stop, you'll be in downtown Jimtown. The reason you know that is because there is a post there with five mailboxes on it, and that is downtown Jimtown. It's a farming community. There were five men named Jim who lived in that community, so hence it became known as Jimtown. I pastored the Jimtown Baptist Church. They were peanut farmers. Now, I didn't know anything about peanut farming, but I learned. Here's how it works with peanuts. Peanuts grow underground, and they're harvested in November, late fall. And the way it works is when it's time to harvest peanuts, you take this machine through the field and you invert the peanuts. They call it digging. And you dig the peanuts out of the ground, and you lay them over upside down, and you let the peanuts now sit on top of the ground. Now, once you dig the peanuts out of the ground, they're vulnerable to a lot of things, and, but they have moisture in them. So you have to let them dry for two or three days before you can harvest them. They would call it thrashing. You and I may call it threshing. But when you dig the peanuts out of the ground, you've got to wait, let the moisture content reduce, then you can harvest them. Well, when I was pastoring one November in Jimtown, it was on a Sunday in November, and the peanuts were on top of the ground, and a frost was predicted for that Sunday night. Pretty heavy frost. Now that's one of the worst things that could happen to peanuts right before they're harvested because it'll freeze the peanuts in the shell and you lose the entire harvest. So we're finished in the service that night and we get to the end of the service and ask one of our deacons, I said, would you lead us in prayer as we go? And this deacon stood up and he said, now Lord, you know good and well we've already dug those peanuts. Last thing we need is a killing frost. He said, so if you could just hold that frost off for two or three days, I promise you, me and these boys here together, we won't just work on our own. We'll work together and we'll get all these peanuts and we'll lay them behind the barn. If you just put it off two or three days, we'd appreciate it. Amen. <laughs> now that right there is a prayer. And guess what? It didn't freeze. And those boys got those peanuts in. You know what? There are times to this day, that's been, gosh, 30-something years ago. There are times to this day, I'll start off a prayer, and I'll say, now, Lord, you know good and well. <laughs> Instead of putting all my anxiety in the moment, I've tried to learn to put my trust and my faith in God and give him an opportunity to do what only he can do. I would encourage you to do the same. That's exactly what Paul says. And then I want you to notice this. There's peace in the midst of it all. Did you see that? 
Look at verse 7. You see, you, you take all of your circumstances and you add them up. And oftentimes, they don't equal peace. But if you add God's presence, you can take whatever's going on with you. And with his presence in your life, it can equal peace. It's the peace of God. And what Paul says is it doesn't add up. It transcends all understanding. Paul says we, we don't really understand it. We don't really know. He says, but I'll tell you what happens. When you experience the peace of God, here's what Paul says. See, Philippi was a Roman colony, and there was a garrison of Roman soldiers stationed at Philippi, and they protected the city. Paul knew that. So Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 7, he says, when the peace of God comes, it transcends your ability to understand or to know it. Here's what it'll do. It'll be just like that garrison of Roman soldiers. It'll garrison your mind and your heart. God's peace will surround you and protect you from going down the wrong paths with your mind and with your heart, and he'll guard you so that you can stay fully in his presence. He said, I don't understand it, but I've experienced it. You know, I would, I would tell you that I would say the same thing. I don't understand it, but I've experienced it. You know, this week, this has been a really sad week in our family. Cindy and I have been in Tennessee for the last few days in Nashville. My niece, Carly Ann, is 45 years old. She, um, she was born when I was a senior in high school. And uh, my brother Tommy, it's he and his wife Martha's oldest child. And uh, Tommy was in the Air Force in those days. And so Martha stayed with us some with little Carly. She's a little baby and, and she was a loud crier. And I can remember saying to Martha one day, I will never have children. This is ridiculous. At one point, I finally asked my mother, I said, does Martha have any idea what she's doing with this baby? But that little plump, round-faced cherub that we knew as Carly Ann grew into this tall, slender, beautiful young lady. And I baptized her as her Uncle Dennis. And she went off to college uh, from Virginia. That's where they ended up. And she went to Belmont in Nashville. And she met a young man named Ben Vaughn. And uh, I did their wedding, First Baptist in Nashville, me and my brother Emerson. And uh, Carly Ann has just been a special niece to me all these years. They had two beautiful children. And then when she was 30 years old, she was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And it was... Uh, Devastating news for us and our little family. That was 15 years ago. And um, it was operable. And so they performed surgery on Carly. But the doctor told Ben, he said, this particular tumor, it's just not good. Maybe three years, maybe four years, maybe. Well, they had another baby, a little Zeke. He's 12 now. And Carly continued to live. She's had one or two little episodes through the years, recurrences that have been challenging, but for the most part, done really well. In fact, last summer, she and Ruby, her oldest child, she's a sophomore at Auburn, they joined us in Florida for vacation, Carly did, and Carly and I were walking down the beach. I said, Carly, how you doing? She said, we don't have a brain tumor. I know that. I do know you. And uh, she said, but I'm living my life, which she did, and we were grateful. 
for it. And uh, we prayed for a miracle. And so uh, her doctors came to see her two weeks ago, good and godly men. And one of the doctors told Ben, he said, you've been praying for a miracle. You've had a 15-year miracle. We've never seen anybody with what Carly had lived this long. And so on Tuesday morning this week, this past week, um, the, the Lord came and got her, took her home. And it's sad for us, for her three children that she left behind. And on Friday, before she died, Carly asked me and Uncle Emerson if we'd do her funeral. And so on Friday morning in Nashville, my brother Emerson and I did Carly Ann's funeral. And I, I can't explain it to y'all. Um, you know, all of this that we talk about, it's not just to help you learn about the Christian life. It's about living the Christian life. And that's what I'm trying to do. And so on Friday, Thursday night, visitation. And on Friday morning, I, I, can't, I can't explain to y'all, but you know what our family felt? Ben, her husband. Our kids that were there. All these cousins. You know what we felt? Peace. As we, my brother and I, stood in that pulpit in that church Friday morning, you know what we felt? Peace. Were we sad? Well, sure. We still are. Does it hurt? Yes. We can't help but think about all the things that Carly Ann won't see. But in the midst of it all, you know what? We're at peace. Carly Ann is with Jesus. And Jesus is in that home. And he is with us. You know, Paul said, the Lord is near. He's always near the brokenhearted. And he's been with our family. And I'm here to tell y'all this morning, I actually believe all this. I do. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I believe in the resurrection of all of his saints. And I believe that one day we're all going to be in glory and that we're all going to have restored bodies and there will be no more cancer or brain tumors or doctors or insurance companies or paraplegics or walkers or hospitals or nursing homes or emergency rooms or anything else. Because I really believe all this stuff. And so you know what we did? We went out to that cemetery and we planted that little girl's body with hope in our hearts because death does not win. Mm. So there's peace, and I can't explain it to you, but I'm so grateful for it. A couple other things in this text, y'all. Paul offers us perspective to prepare for it all. He does. Paul says, look, if you want to know what to think about, don't, don't, don't let your mind... Don't let your mind go down all these paths, he says. He says, in fact, whatever's, whatever's true, think on that. What's pure and lovely. The, the, these, these qualities that God offers you, think about those. Guard your mind, guide your mind. Don't let your mind just go down any old path. 
He says, you got to protect it and you can do it. And then he says, here's the practice to deal with it all. I love what Paul says in verse nine. And Paul says, look, if you're looking for somebody to show you how to do it, look at me. Now, Paul wasn't saying that boastfully. His point was, I'm actually living this. I'm actually doing this. So if you're wondering how to do it, just watch me do it. I'm not, he's not saying he's perfect, but he was given all he knew. Now, I would say to y'all this morning, I love you. I'm so honored to be the pastor of this church. And you know what we're doing? We're just living life together. That's what we're doing. And I would tell you, if you're looking for somebody to help you do it, I'm, I'm humble enough and honest enough as your pastor to say, well, then just watch how I do it. Because I'm not perfect, but I'm going to tell you right now, I believe in it all. And I'm trying to do it. And I'm trying to live into this joy. And I'm trying to live into this peace. And I'm giving God a chance in my life. And I'm taking my request to the Lord. And I'm trusting that he can do something about it. And I believe he can. And I believe he will. And I'll trust him no matter what he does. Because I love him. And I believe in him. And his power is just as real today as it was when he raised Jesus from the dead. And just because I can't see everything and just because I don't understand everything, all it is is a reminder to me that I'm, I'm Dennis Wiles and I'm not God and I trust God more than I trust Dennis Wiles. I'll tell you that today. And I believe in who he is. So today, here's my hope. I hope that you're not just learning about all this. I hope that you're not just getting all this in your mind. Here's what I hope. I hope you're living it. I hope you're walking in your real life every day with the presence of God because if you have him and in Christ Jesus, you have all you need. As a matter of fact, even in the midst of hurt and pain and grief and loss, you can actually find joy. As a matter of fact, even when it doesn't make sense, you can find peace. May it be so in your life as it has been in mine. Let's pray together this morning. <clears throat> Well, Father, we, we love you. We, we realize, Lord, that when we gather in a, a setting like this, there are just all kinds of experiences and hurt and grief and loss and pain and frustration and uncertainty. And so, Lord, we, we need you. We need your presence. We need to be deeply connected to you. I want to thank you, Lord, for how you've made yourself known to us and to our little family. Lord, as hard as it has been to lose Carly Ann, we're grateful. We're grateful for how you ministered to us and you continue to, and we believe you will in the days ahead for her little family. But there's so many other families right here in this room. There are people right now who are dealing with the reality of their loss and their hurt and their pain. And yet somehow, Lord, somehow in the face of it all, I just pray right now that you would bring your peace and a deep joy, hearts full of gratitude for what you have given us and hope for what is to come. Well, we live in the tension of that. So Lord, help us just to hold on to each other in this church, to just walk side by side. And sometimes all it'll be is just holding a hand or a hug and just the acknowledgement that we're with you may not understand it all but we're with you you're not by yourself because we're family and Lord may you just hold us close to each other and help us to walk through the storms of life and celebrate the great joys and Lord we've, we've seen that in our own family this week 
the, the counterbalance of dealing with the reality of Carly's death and celebrating the beauty of the birth of little Gideon. Our family's no different than anybody else's. Lord, so many of us could give that same testimony. We've watched you work in miraculous ways, and we want to give you the praise for it. And so we love you, and we ask God right now, you will be who only you can be to the people in this body. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.